Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Patton. The Xterra mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the national and global economy, as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we're exploring on the Xterra website, as well as on this podcast. Joining me today is Edwina Paisley, Senior Director of Spacecraft Programs for Inmarsat. Edwina, welcome to the program. Thanks very much for having me. Let's just jump right into this because earlier this year, Inmarsat conducted a worldwide survey of people's knowledge and attitudes about space titled, What on Earth is the Value of Space? Is there value in space? There's undoubtedly an immense value in space. Uh, as we start to push the limits of the resources that we have on Earth, uh, we demand more of our communication services, we're living much more in a connected world. We do need to look to space to start giving us that capability that terrestrial solutions aren't really going to be able to provide to us. But the value of space is much, much far beyond uh, monetary value. And a few years ago, the UK commissioned a report and it said, that a single country's economy in a single day, if they were to lose a GPS signal, would lose a billion pounds a day. And that just really shows how integrated space is in our everyday lives. Whether it's personal, whether it's professional, you go to the supermarket, all the food around you has used uh, navigation to be able to get there, communications to be able to be grown, um, agriculture, life-saving services on land, sea, and air, also provides great jobs uh, and technology, obviously, that we use on, on a day-to-day -day basis. So, so the value of space is intricately intertwined in the everyday, you know, the, the lace of, of everyday life. And it's, um, it's really something that I, at this point in our modern society, we can't do without. So it really does provide us a huge amount of value on a day-to-day, -day, on a person-by-person -person basis. Now, it was a big survey, 20,000 respondents from 11 countries. How did the uh, study come about? Uh, well, Emerson commissioned the survey, and you're right, it's, a, it's an immense survey. That's 20,000 individuals is a huge amount of indi individuals to, to survey. But we commissioned the survey because we really believe that, that space needs to occupy a much greater share of the public consciousness. Um, as we mentioned, that space benefits everyone, yet so many are unaware of what it does for, for them as, as people, for humanity, for our planet, um, and they're unaware of the current benefits or the future benefits. And so what we at Inmarsat wanted to know was, what is the world's perception of space? And through this survey, we, we, we looked at uh, different individuals from different countries and different demographics. We also wanted to gauge the level of understanding so that we could cater our work accordingly. So we wanted to, to get a really good temperature of the world's and the public's perception of space so that we can highlight all the wonderful possibilities for the future and also some of the great achievements that we've already achieved. We also want to understand, there's the positive side, but there's also we want to understand the risks. We want to know what is it that the public knows about space and what do they fear about space? And again, 
what we can do with that information is we can generate debate around those subjects. Um, we can increase the public understanding. We can share all the, the wonderful accomplishments. And really by establishing this baseline, we can cater our, our future work and, and see how it resonates with individuals around the world. And most of all, increasing that excitement around what space does and what space can give to us. A little bit about the mechanics. Um, was 20,000 the number of responses you got or was that the number of surveys you set, sent out? Those are the number of respondents to the survey. So how many, how many surveys did you actually send out to get 20,000 respondents? Because I know usually the response rate on those kinds of things is, is sometimes in the, in the you know, 20, 25% range. We had, a, we had a very good response rate. I don't have at hand the, the exact number of surveys uh, that we sent out, but we had a, a good response rate, as you can tell from the, the results across many different countries and across certainly different uh, demographics and regions. And, and who did you send those surveys to? What was kind of your demographic sample? Uh, so the survey was actually done for us. We uh, commissioned a consulting company to mm -hmm. do that for us. Um, and so the consulting company took care. We gave them the requirements that we wanted in terms of our survey and the consulting company took care of ensuring that those survey, uh, survey questions were distributed to the, the right demographics and the right um, uh, types of individuals that we were interested in hearing their particular opinions about space. And I'm sure that information is included in the study that it always is. They talk about the methodology. So we'll have a link to that uh, as, we, as we post this podcast. Give us a little bit about your background, Edwina. How did you wind up in this business? Uh, so I'm an aerospace engineer by, by nature. Um, at Inmarsat, I am the senior director of satellite programs. I'm also the program manager for two new next generation spacecraft called the Inmarsat 6. Uh, the Inmarsat 6 consists of two spacecraft, one that was just launched in December of last year on Mitsubishi Heavy Industries H2A launch vehicle. And then next, the F2 will be launched early next year in Q2. These two spacecraft are really pushing the limits of communications uh, satellites. They're the biggest, most complex spacecraft ever built. And I work with a, a group of engineers to follow that spacecraft from the design, the development test, all the way through launch and commissioning. So my, my background is, is very much in space and satellites and it's something I resonates with me and I, I love to do. I just have to say, I love being involved in this industry. How did you, how, how did you get interested in space? It's one of those things that sometimes people think, wow, you know, they don't see space as one of those, uh, of those careers that might be attractive to them. What, what attracted you to the, to the industry? I have to say the film, the right stuff <laughs> was, um, was a turning point. Uh, in my childhood. So, um, I also, my, my father was a British Royal Navy fighter pilot in World War II. And obviously that's not space, but that's certainly pushing the limits of, of you know, what one can do. And, and it was just a, an area that was very attractive to me in terms of a nice, you know, big challenge, something that was exciting, something that was very fulfilling. And I can tell you, I get that sense of fulfillment not just every single time we launch a spacecraft or when we have a big milestone, but it's so rewarding on a daily basis to be involved with brilliant people working on really hard projects uh, and seeing magnificent um, accomplishments like our recent launch, which is a working very with actual 
working with actual Touching rocket rockets and hardware and space hardware <laughs> that's going into space. I tell you, nothing beats that. Has space become too normal, Edwina? How did the different ages and countries, et cetera, view space? Uh, I think space, rather than saying space has been, is too normal, I would say that space is the new normal. Um, it's so integrated in our daily lives and in ways that we really don't realize or sometimes we, um, we take for granted. Uh, so in terms of how it's being viewed across different ages and different countries, there is a very varied response, um, but it's uh, roughly the same spectrum. So the understanding in terms of the breadth of space uh, and what we have accomplished in the past and what we could do in the future can certainly do some work use some work. And this survey highlights, in fact, um, say a low understanding of space and opportunity to gain some ground in terms of the, the, the public understanding. I'll give a, a couple of examples. 21% of people associate space with aliens, 14% uh, with science fiction and 10% with Star Wars uh, versus only 8% for communications and connectivity and 3% for broadcasting and television those are quite significant numbers. And it also shows that, uh, that our understanding of space as a global population is often driven, not necessarily by reality, but by say popular media or science fiction. Um, and this was a really interesting data point for us. Again, it gives us something we can work with in terms of different countries. So we've talked about how different ages and demographics view space. Uh, different countries, there are certainly regional differences. So if you have some countries that are new space entrants, like China or South Korea or Japan, they associate space with um, not so much with exploration research, but things like space tourism, uh, whereas the countries that were more involved in the first space race associated more with, um, with exploration and research. So it is very interesting to see how how across the world there are differences in perceptions. Not good, not bad, not one way or the other, but just these slight, uh, say, differences in, in people's perceptions and understandings of space, which gives us an excellent platform with which to, to cater our messaging as an industry for the public. In your view, is that in part because people, because the industry has moved really too fast for the public to keep up with what's going on in space? I think the audience has changed as well. Um, so recent innovations are not met with that same sense of wonder that uh, previous generations may have may have accepted or may have may have seen. Um, space doesn't occupy the headlines like it used to. Maybe it's in one headline when something magnificent happens, but it's certainly not continuously in the news as it was 50, 60 years ago. And dare I say, <clears throat> launch successes are almost commonplace. They don't make the headlines anymore. Uh, so, so the industry has, has, has moved very, very quickly and public perception has to increase and catch up with where we are in the industry. There are 69% of people surveyed had heard about SpaceX, but only 25% knew what they did. Wow. Uh, and almost everyone in the survey, again, 20,000 people across many countries, uh, had heard about NASA, but only 25% knew what they actually did. 
So it's just a very interesting, you know, a very interesting gauge of what people hear in, in popular media and how they're able to connect that to reality. I'll date myself when you talk about, you know, how, how space has, has captured people's attention because I was 10 years old when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon and took those first steps. And I was among the, the millions and millions of people who watched that on television. And that just doesn't happen anymore. As you said, with, and I live in Florida. So when we think about SpaceX has launched more rockets already this year than probably got launched in the last 20, I think is, is one of those things that really has people saying, okay, they did it again. And that's part of the public perception is, you know, okay, it's, it's space, what's next? Exactly, I mean, I'll, I'll give you the, the opposite side of that spectrum is, um, you know, my kids, they're, they're 10 and seven, and they say, mommy, when are you launching your next rocket? Like, well, it doesn't happen every day. <laughs> it's kind of a big, it's kind of a big thing. Don't tell Elon, he um, might disagree with you. But he's, you know, you, you get this, you know, it's just a different sense, you know, the, the new generation for them, it's more commonplace. Um, but again, it gives us something to work with. You also found in the survey that people have a lot of concerns about space. What are some of those major concerns that people have about space? So again, there's a varying scale of people's concerns about space. Some people are, say, mildly nervous, uh, where others are actually quite terrified of space and what could happen in space. <clears throat> the concerns really are surrounding three, say, roughly general areas. There's space junk in collisions, there's polluting of space, and also damaging the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, and so it's really interesting to see that some of the fears that are along these three lines are higher in the markets or in the regions that are more focused on space exploration and development. So countries like Brazil, Korea, India, etc. These are the countries, again, they're pushing their own envelope they're in terms of uh, the space race. And so their concern is, say, looking inward in terms of our humanity's impact on space. Um, also, these things are often fed by popular culture. You have a particular thread that talks about collisions in space, you know, a particular thread of discussion, um, launching hundreds of satellites in one time, and it, that's going to start thoughts churning in, in people's heads. Uh, but what's definitely necessary is a, there's definitely a need for more regulation and more responsible usage of space. So it's something that we at NRSAT are particularly um, concerned about. And our CEO, Rajiv Suri, in the introduction to the space report, he talks about, about this, the need to have more structure um, around our usage of this very precious resource that we have for space. Um, but despite people perhaps feeling, say, a bit nervous about space, there are people who see huge possibilities a third of the respondents are really excited about the possibilities for a second space age. Um, and just under half want to know more about space. And that's a, that's a really exciting prospect and that I think everyone sees the benefit um, and has varying opinions about it, but is at least open and interested in learning more. 
I'm talking with Edwina Paisley, Senior Director of Spacecraft Programs for Inmarsat on the Xterra podcast. Take a moment right now to click on subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our podcasts, or if you're watching on YouTube, any of the videos from Xterra, the Journal of Space Commerce. Let's dig down into some of these uh, different demographics a little bit, Edwina, and talk about how business leaders view space. So business leaders are actually more positive in terms of the outlook on space than the general population. And they're more excited about what it is that space offers. So 38% um, versus 33%. They're definitely much keener to work on the industry, probably because they can anticipate the possibilities that space can provide um, as business leaders. They're constantly forward thinking, right? Um, and they are more keen to learn about space than the wider public. So almost, uh, however, almost half of them do see that space junk and collisions and the pollution of space is a real concern. So this is really good to, to, to know that business leaders do have at the forefront of their mind this responsible usage of space. The possibilities, yes, but being able to, to use it in a responsible way. Uh, and so they are able to attach more importance to space than the overall public as seen during the survey. Um, and interestingly enough, they claim to be more knowledgeable about space than the general public, than non-business leaders, let's say. Uh, so that's also an interesting data point, again, because probably because of this, uh, you know, this forward thinking mindset that the business leaders often have. We could probably do an entire program just on the regulatory aspect of it that you mentioned. And, and we noticed that you talked with, with both business leaders and non-business leaders but no politicians or government officials. Was that something that you told your, your consultant that you wanted to particularly avoid those types of people? And, and what was the reasoning for that? Um, so in fact, this was a, a survey that wasn't focused on business leaders or non-business leaders. What we did was the consulting company polled individuals and identified those individuals' roles in their respective organizations. Uh, and then uh, subsequent questions were then asked of those who identified themselves as business leaders. Um, so that's why you, you see the, the, say the difference in, in that particular part of the survey with respect to the, the responses. Really, in Marsat, you know, we wanted to focus the survey on the public viewpoint um, and people's personal perspectives on space rather than governmental or political positions. And we commissioned this particular report because we as a company and us individuals that work in the company are really passionate about space and really believe it should occupy much more of our um, consciousness, whether it's public and, or personal. And so we really targeted the study at the public um, and hence this differentiation. So you basically went for the end user as opposed to the regulator. Correct. Will the industry be able to get the talent that it needs to succeed in space? Is there the talent pool out there uh, of not only people who are capable, but interested in this, in this arena to bring some of these great ideas to fruition? It's definitely evident that the younger generations are more excited about the possibilities in space than older generation. What we need to do is make sure that translates into people going to university and pursuing, pursuing um, degrees and choosing to work in space. Um, and so this, this 
again, poses some great opportunities for the future because what we do well today can only be made better through space. And that's where the future is going to be. So 13%, again, of the entire population uh, surveyed, 13% were interested in working in the space sector. And the biggest group was 25 to 34 year olds, followed by 18 to 24. So this really does show that, that there, is a, there is a desire. Perhaps people don't know how to get into space. Um, perhaps people think maybe it's, it's too difficult. Um, I don't know why anyone would hold back from working in this particular sector, because it is, again, it's brilliant, it's rewarding, it's good fun. Um, and there's nothing quite like working at the, the forefront of, of satellites and space and getting to touch space hardware and seeing rockets. It's just, uh, it's really a wonderful place to, to build a career um, and to grow as an individual and, and to grow as an industry. So anyone who's listening, who even has the slightest thought of going into space, I highly, highly encourage to pursue that. When we talk to the space tourism people and we talk about careers in space, they always mention that it's not always the rocket scientists, that as we grow this industry and there are hotels in space, that there are, is space tourism, there are those kinds of things, that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to need to work in space who aren't necessarily rocket scientists. Um, do you find that, that that's something that people might be interested in or was the survey in any way uh, focused on that? We didn't focus specifically on the, the question that, that you're asking is um, the technical state versus non-technical paths into mm -hmm. space. Um, but I do certainly agree that the, the possibilities of working in space are absolutely not limited to just being uh, rocket science. Um, our company is 100% space. And uh, I'll tell you that the, the technical portion, which goes into building a spacecraft is actually a very, very small part of that. There are hundreds of people who are non-technical, but who occupy extremely important positions in order to help us be successful in space, ranging from legal procurement, regulatory. Um, it really, this couldn't happen without the non-technical people that essentially pave the way for a great uh, technological innovation like a spacecraft to be launched. So the, the, the world of space is, is open to all, all different uh, areas of, of expertise, certainly just not technical. So I would encourage uh, anyone who maybe even has, again, that slight doubt that perhaps they're not technical enough for space, we, we don't need to be technical to, to work, in, work and enjoy space. You asked folks what they see is the future of space. What were the kinds of responses that you got as to as people looked out into the future and and said, well, here's what's going to happen in space? People were very optimistic, in fact, about the, the future of space. It, it's it was a mix of curiosity and excitement in terms of the possibilities. Some people believed it was a potential solution to many of the challenges that we have here on Earth such as uh, poverty, such as climate change, um, such as uh, providing a solution for producing food or to um, alleviate food concerns here on the planet. However, as we started to, to, to look into our survey results, it is 
evident that it's difficult to grasp the possibilities of space without increasing the awareness of what it is that space can do. Um, so people are, are, are really holding their hopes on um, space being able to solve some of the problems here on Earth, but they need to build that understanding of what the role is in space and the capability of space to really well anchor those, uh, those optimistic uh, thoughts. But it certainly was absolutely evident that the future of space was wide, that the future of space um, also was unknown because people didn't quite um, know how to, to put some structure perhaps around some of the ideas. So, so wide, open, optimistic, um, and generally there for the taking, right? They're there for us to, to ensure that we make the most of a resource that, that we have around our planet. And now I'm going to ask you to personally look from your perch at Inmarsat out over the next 10 to 15 years in space commerce and tell us what you see. I see something that's very, a future that's very bright. It's very dynamic. Um, if I were to look 10 years backwards, the iPhone was just invented and that was just 15 years ago. So that's, that's not that long. Um, if I were to look 15 years forward, the spacecraft that I'm working on today uh, will still be functioning. Uh, it will only just be a little bit over half its, half its lifetime. And it will certainly be looking down on a world that is very different from the world that's been built in today. And I think that's extremely exciting. I think the demand for interconnectivity and internet of things solutions of being connected almost constantly from wherever you are in the world is going to increase even more than it is now. Um, but I also think that there's going to be a great increase in the awareness and the responsibility of space usage. The upcoming generation is really concerned about what's happening to our planet and equally concerned about how we use space. And so that's something I find really encouraging is not only do we have the great possibilities, but we're moving forward in a way that's responsible and we're going to be good citizens in our use of space. And so I, I think that's something that, that strikes a chord with me and, and really exciting, excited to see where it takes us. I think maybe for perspective, I read recently that 2022 is as far away from 1970 as 1918 is away from 1970. So you see what kinds of, of, of technological advances can happen in those timeframes. And as we look out into the future of space, it's, it, it's fun to speculate, but there's absolutely no way to know. <laughs> Edwina, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time uh, for being on the Xterra podcast. And uh, we hope that you'll come back and talk with us or have someone come back and talk with us a little bit more about Inmarsat in depth at some point. It's a, a, a company that's got a lot going on and, and very innovative. So we really appreciate your talking with us about the survey and I hope we'll see you or someone from your company again. Thank you very much. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Edwina Paisley is Senior Director of Spacecraft Programs for Inmarsat. That's going to do it for this edition of the Xterra Podcast. Check out our YouTube channel. Be sure to click on subscribe so you can stay up to date on developments in space commerce and be notified when we post new videos. You can also get daily space commerce news at xterrajsc.com. And one thing more, be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at xterrajsc. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for joining us.